Well, as I mentioned a minute ago, I am so glad to be back today. Again, I know that you didn't miss me because Pastor Josh was here last week, and he spoke, and he did an incredible job uh, just continuing our series on the life of David. He's one of my favorite communicators, and I love to hear him speak. I hate that I missed it in person, but I know that those that were here uh, really enjoyed that. And so you didn't miss me at all, but man, we missed you. We went on vacation. Our family did. We had a great time. Uh, but man, we're glad to be back. We love to be here in this place. One of the things that I do uh, really regularly that I love to do, but especially on a vacation like this last week, is I love to read. Uh, I'm an avid reader. I love to read. I read as many books as I can. Uh, my wife is the exact opposite. Um, I don't say that to make fun of her at all. Some of you giggled there, but she will tell you she hates to read. Um, she's really kind of just read like one book in her life all the way through that she loved. She's read some other ones, but she didn't really like it. Um, but I love to read. Like I love to read just about anything. Like if you recommend a book to me, um, I will probably at some point read it. I'll put it on my, my reading list. I'll put it in my Amazon you know, wish list for my Kindle app and things. I, I love to read. I read in groups. You know, there's some times where I'm reading, you know, different leadership books with our staff or we're reading ministry books or other pastors or leaders around the country that I'm connected to. We're reading books together or sometimes I just read for pleasure. Um, I'm the kind of crazy person that reads like three or four books at one time. So what I do is I've got, you know, like a hardback book or something, a paperback book that I'm reading. And then I've also got like two or three books that I'm working on on my iPad and my Kindle app. And I'm highlighting stuff. And, 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 and that's just the way my brain works. I like to be kind of in a lot of different material uh, at the same time. Some of my favorite types of books are novels. I love to read fiction novels. I've got some favorite authors. I've been reading John Grisham, I feel like, my whole entire life. Uh, but I love his stuff. I love David Baldacci. I love those kind of government or espionage-type thrillers. I love where, you know, it's good versus evil. I love those kind of things. I also love to read good books on, like, commentaries on history. Not necessarily history books, though I do like to read some of those. But I like, you know, kind of commentaries on history where someone's really writing about historical things, but they're really giving it more of a narrative, you know, kind of story to it. So, you know, like Doris Kern's book, uh, Team of Rivals, on the, the legacy and the leadership of Abraham Lincoln and those that he kind of ran against for president. I love those types of books. And what I really love about books like that, and if you're not a reader, then you're not going to be left out this morning, But because we, we see this in television and in movies as well. But one of the things that I really love about books is I love to watch characters develop. I love to be introduced to a character on maybe page 3 or 10 or 15 and then three or four hundred pages later to really feel like I know this character. I know who this guy is. I know who this girl is because I've read hundreds of pages now and I've watched the development. The author, if it's a good author, has really helped me to feel like I know this character because I'm learning about them and I'm kind of experiencing the emotions that they are going through. And I love when a, a writer does a great job of taking maybe two characters and pitting them side by side. And maybe early on, they seem like very similar characters. They've experienced some of the same types of things. They come from a similar type of background. But over the course of the story, we see that they are really different people. We see that their response to life and experience is different. We see this in the movies. We see this in the books. We see this uh, in television where these characters begin to be compared and contrasted and we almost choose sides. Who do we relate to and who do we kind of, that's the antagonist of our own life. We see people that we don't get along with in that other character. Those are the kinds of things I love. That's why I like to read because I feel like I'm jumping into someone else's story. And as this summer has kind of gone on, we have been looking at the story of David in Scripture. 
He's King David to many of us, if we really kind of know how the story plays out. But we started this story way back when he was just a shepherd boy. He's this teenage kid. And really, these writers here, both in Chronicles and 1 and 2 Samuel, help us to see this character development of the story of David. And today we're going to look at a new part of the story, because the way that we've been looking at this story, rather than looking at it through events, we've really been looking at it through relationships. We've been looking at it through these characters. And so today we're going to look at David and Saul. Saul's a guy that many of us maybe are familiar with, at least in name. This is the Old Testament Saul, not the New Testament Saul that becomes Paul. But this is a guy who was king before David. And if you know these stories, you know that there's a lot of similarities in their stories early on. It really seems like if you were to read the first you know, few chapters that you're introduced to Saul and the first few chapters that you're introduced to David, you actually see a lot of mirror imaging here of how these two characters are developing. You see how God is calling them. You see how the, they're, they're the first and second king of Israel. So this is all new to them and new to the kingdom. You see how even in their kingship, once they become king, you see how they sin against God. And God sends someone into their life to really challenge them, to call them to repentance, Samuel for Saul and Nathan for David. And they do, they repent. They really seek God and plead for God to forgive them. And so we see those things kind of happen side by side. But today, as we look at this story, I want us to look at, uh, through a little different lens, the story of Saul and David and see how it might impact our lives through maybe our own leadership if you're not in a position where you say, hey, I'm not really a leader, maybe just through the interaction and, leadership and relationship of generations. Because as I was reading this story this week, I really looked at it through a totally different lens than I've ever seen it before. And, and what I really saw is I saw that Saul was this guy who was in charge. And then God has chosen now David to be king, and he has rejected Saul for a variety of reasons, including some we're going to read in just a minute. And then there is a need for a handoff in the leadership of the kingdom. Now, again, you, you may not have to hand off leadership, and you may not be over a kingdom, and if you are, that would be an amazing story, so come tell me later. But even if that's not the case, I think all of us at different stages in our life have to embrace what is coming next. And here's what I mean by that. All of us are a part of a generation. It might be an older generation, at least in context to me. It might be a younger generation in context to me. But all of us are a part of a generation. And whether you view that through age or you view that through cultural context or you view that through technology or you view that through other, some of us struggle to embrace what is next. We struggle to embrace the coming handoff, and we all have to do it in all stages of our lives. Whether you're a parent and you have to hand off the responsibility of your children to them, or maybe to their spouse, you know, in some respects. If you are a leader, you have a position in some type of job. At some point, you will have to hand off your responsibilities to someone else on that job. And so for all of us, whatever the context, we have to do some handoffs. And, and there's definitely a spiritual thing going on here. But I think when we watch the handoff between Saul and David, we see how it can completely go wrong. And here's one of the reasons that I believe that's the case is because Saul doesn't embrace that his time has come to an end. Now, again, spiritual things are happening. We're going to read that in just a minute. But Saul does not fully embrace that his time has come to an end. And he possesses this attitude that I think we all have to be careful of. And it goes something like this. Don't resent what God sent to be next. If we're not careful, we resent things that are coming just because they're new to us. 
I mean, some of us, we don't embrace technology. Some of us, we don't embrace new worship songs. Some of us, we don't embrace things that are going on. And I'm not talking about sinful things we should stay away from. I'm talking about just things that are new to us. And we just resent them because they're new. We get on the job and there's the new person that's been hired. We just resent them. They may be the greatest person in the world, but they're new and we don't like them, right? Because we just don't like new things. We don't like change. And so Saul resents what God has sent to be next. Now, obviously, again, spiritual things going on here. But one of the things that I think we have to be careful of is that our legacy is often disproportionately kind of affected by our ability to navigate handoffs. And so if we're not careful, if we miss that, then we will be remembered not for anything that we did for good, but for our inability to let go when it was time to let go. And much of the story of Saul is not known for the good things that he did as king. And he did some amazing things as king. Most of what we know about Saul and even where we're going to focus our time today is in that period of the handoff that he fumbled because he was unwilling to realize that his time was up. And so today I want us to look a little bit at the end of Saul's rule and how the handoff happens with David here. And what we see is we see that Saul is fighting some pride. This is really one of the main reasons that God rejects Saul in the first place. Because if you remember, there was no king. The people wanted a king. And so God chooses Saul to be king. And so it's God choosing him. It's not through anything Saul's done. God chooses him and Saul becomes king and good things happen. And then as we see his kingship, his rule and his reign continue, we see a transformation in his heart. And we see that most explicitly beginning in 1 Samuel 14. Verse 35 says this, then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Now, building an altar to the Lord was something that happened throughout the Old Testament text. It's a powerful thing where they would pause, they would stop, they would get away, they would consecrate themselves, they would build an altar of some kind, and they would offer a sacrifice there to worship God. And so we see that in 1 Samuel 14. And God says to Saul around this time, I want you to go and I want you to destroy your enemies and I don't want you to leave anything of the enemies that's left. I want you to kill every single living thing from humans to animals. Now that sounds harsh to us, but this is a part of that Old Testament narrative. And so God gives explicit instructions and then something happens. Saul leads the men into battle. They go and they kill all of the people, but they keep the plunder for themselves. They keep the sheep, they keep the animal, they keep the, the, the gold and the goods there. And so the prophet Samuel, he hears from God that God is going to reject Saul as king. And Samuel kind of argues back and forth with God and asks God not to make it happen. And then he goes to Saul to tell him, and look at this, just one chapter later from where Saul is building an altar to God. This is what we read in 1 Samuel 15, verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. So in 14, we see Saul building an altar to God. And then as we see him disobey God, we see that he's now building monuments to himself. Now we read this story and we go, wow, that's sinful. I can't believe he would do that. But we do the same thing. Now, I, I don't know if you have any monuments around your house that are, you know, of you. You have, you know, not pictures, but you've built like a, a statue of yourself that you worship in the morning on the way to your coffee or something. I'm not sure if you do that. Again, if you do, please take a picture of that because that would be awesome. But here's what I am saying. Whatever your monuments look like, we all run the risk of moving from dependence and worship to God towards monuments to ourself. 
right? Think about it. Saul was anointed to be king by God. He was not chosen to be king because he was awesome. He was not chosen to be king because he kind of won the election. He was chosen to be king because God said, I'm looking for a king, you're it. And so there should have been a lifelong process of worship and honor toward God for everything that Saul had. But there comes a moment when he starts to believe the press clippings. He starts to kind of buy into what everybody says about him and how talented and how skilled a warrior he is and how good looking he is and what he can provide. And oh my goodness, we're one of those nations now with a king and look at us and look at Saul. And he begins to buy into that and we transition in his heart from dependence and worship to God towards monuments to ourselves. Now, None of these things are explicitly sinful, but some of the things that we buy, we buy them as monuments. They make us feel good about ourselves. They make us feel good about our ability to produce things for ourselves. We get away from, thank you, God, for providing for me to look what I got for myself. Look what I was able to accomplish on my own. And Again, whether you construct anything, purchase anything, or it just happens in our hearts, we're just as guilty of the pride that we see here in the story of Saul as he transitions away from dependence and worship of God to monuments and worship and really self-belief that he's the one that's producing all of the good things in his life. He falls into this trap. It's one of the reasons that the handoff is not going to go well. And so that's chapter 15, and we've already read and we've already talked about in a previous week that chapter 16 is where we're introduced to David, and he's anointed to be king. And then we see chapter 17, and David kills Goliath, and we see David and Saul begin to interact, and we see some relationship begin to develop between the two of them. And we see that Saul is tormented, and then David comes into uh, the, the, the throne there, or where Saul's sitting on the throne, and he plays the harp for him, and we see these interactions, and we see this relationship begin, but Saul quickly realizes that God's favor has left him, and that God's favor rests on David, and we begin to see how Saul hates David. He, he's resenting what is next. He realizes that his time is coming to a close, and so he begins to get angry and bitter, and he is eventually going to try to kill David, and so David goes on the run. And, and here's a passage in 1 Samuel 22 that I love for a lot of reasons, but it reminds me of days like today. 1 Samuel 22, beginning in verse 1, it says this, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander. And 400 men were with him. Now, keep in mind that six chapters earlier, he had been anointed to be the next king. But he's not yet able to be king. And so he's actually on the run away from the one who's chasing him to kill him. And when his father's household and his brothers, when they hear about it, all those who are also on the run join up. They just show up to the cave of Agilom. Now, that may not sound like a big deal to you until you understand the context of this Old Testament narrative, that if they were in debt and if they were discontented and if they were in distress, it means that someone probably wanted them dead too. Someone probably wanted bad things to happen to them. If they were in debt, that debt could be called in and they could be put to death or put in prison at the very least. 
It means that if they were in distress or they were discontented, there was something that they didn't like about the present government, the the present culture, something about their family, something about their lot in life. And so they do what David's doing. They just decide, hey, we're going to join up with you and we're just going to be on the run. And they say to him, hey, you'll be our leader. Now, again, that may not sound like a big deal, but this is a guy who is waiting on his turn to lead. He's waiting on his opportunity to rightfully step into the position that God has called him to. And here's what I would say to all of us. Sometimes we miss those moments of preparation because they don't look like what we envision them to look like. Right? If we're anointed to be the next king, we think it includes a crown and a throne and leading the army. And it might include a cave and 400 distressed, in debt, discontented people. Right? There, there's people that are just kind of saying, hey, listen, I've got nothing better to do than just come and follow you. I think sometimes we're looking for like the cream of the crop. We only want to lead when it looks good. We only want to lead when it looks like we imagined it to look like. And we don't see anything like that here. But here's what I know. Out of this 400 people that show up and surround David, some of these will become the most powerful men in the kingdom when David becomes the king. The people that you're connected to right now in a season of preparation, they may actually go with you into the tomorrow that you're envisioning. Not everybody will. But don't just push people off. Don't just push people aside because they don't look like what you envision them to look like, what you envision that season to look like. Maybe this is a season of preparation. We've talked about that a little bit. But what is it that God's wanting to do now that he can use in you later? We see that here in the cave of Agilom. We see David's integrity play out in two stories over these coming chapters where he's on the run. I mean, we've got these 400 guys, and there may be a few more that begin to join up with him at different times in the story. Some of them leave, some of them come back. But we see David on the run, and Saul begins to chase him in hopes that he can kill him. And what happens here is that David, when he's being chased... Saul kind of finds out where he's at and he goes to rush to wherever he's heard David is. Oh, David's over in this field. And so David will take, I mean, Saul will take 3,000 men with him and he'll try to go and find David and kill him. And he can never quite get there because he's trying to do away with whatever's coming next. He's fighting off the inevitable future. And so one time as Saul is chasing David, David and his men are hiding in the back of a cave. And Saul, scripture explicitly says this, goes in to relieve himself. He just goes in to use the bathroom while they're on the run. Evidently, the king doesn't do that out in the woods. He's got to go into the cave. It's a little more private. So he goes in. I'm assuming this is kind of like an Old Testament porta potty. I'm not really sure. But he just walks in. I'm just trying to navigate this moment with us, folks. Don't be uncomfortable, right? He goes into this cave. And so Saul is kind of doing his business at some point there in the opening of the cave. And what he doesn't realize, and we don't know if it's all 400 men or just a bunch of them, but David and his men are in the back of this cave and they realize that Saul has walked in. And now there's a group of people who realize, okay, this is our moment. This is our shot. This is the time when we take over, we're going to kill Saul and we're going to become the most powerful guys in the kingdom. And this is what they say beginning in verse 4. The men said, this is the day. They're talking to David. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Verse 5, afterward, David was conscious stricken. 
for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, here's what I want us to know as we're looking at this story, as we're looking at these two side-by-side characters. Saul sees that David is, is what's coming next. He's going to acknowledge that in just a minute. He understands that God is with David, and yet he wants to kill the Lord's anointed. David, even though he knows he's been anointed to be the next king, refuses to do anything to what he knows to be someone who was anointed by God. And so you see these two characters side by side and how they interact with one another. And David refuses to, his men are like, oh, this is your moment. And here's what we know. When others tell you it's time, it may not be time. Right? Like you got to make sure that the people around you are listening to the same God you're listening to. And they're not just listening for opportunity to knock. They're not just listening for, this is kind of a good spot here. You could make a lot of money if you just invest over here. You might get a promotion if you'll just go do this, or maybe compromise yourself here, or you'll say those things about this person, or you'll go rat this person out. You'll go do... It might seem like a good opportunity, but evidently they weren't listening to the same God that David was listening to. And so David comes to the edge of the cave. Saul walks out. David comes to the edge of the cave after he has rebuked his men and he cries out and he says, hey, listen, Saul, I could have hurt you, but I didn't. I don't know who's telling you that I'm after you, but I'm not. And this is what it says in verse 12. He says, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Verse 16, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. Listen to the words of Saul. Listen to what he sees in David already. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good that you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. Later in verse 20, Saul acknowledges to David that David is going to be the next king. The verse 20 of this same passage, he says, I know that you're going to be the next king and I know that God is, is with you and I know that God has promised you and I know, so I'm going to leave you alone because you're better than me. You're more righteous than me. God delivered me into your hands. You could have done anything that you wanted to do to me, which is what David's men had said. And he said, no, but now I see that you are good and I am evil and God's favor rests on you. And so I'm going to leave you alone, but he doesn't leave him alone. He goes away for a time and he comes back. And so one night while Saul is chasing David, it ends up that David's men are camped on one side of a mountain and Saul's men are camped on the other side of the mountain. I mean, can you see this? This is just an incredible book, right? This is an incredible movie. I can see it. Russell Crowe comes out. He's wearing some type of sheepskin over him and he's ripped like I am. And I mean, he walks out with a spear and I don't know why you're laughing there. They're on the two sides of this mountain and David finds out that Saul's guys are over there. And he says to one of the guys in the army, he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to go into their camp. Who wants to go with me? He says, I'll go. I need friends like that, by the way. He says, I'll go. And they go and they sneak into the camp. And they walk through. Everyone's asleep. And eventually David gets to where Saul is and his spear is struck into the ground. And his water jug lays there beside him. And this guy who had said, I'll go with you, says to David, now's your shot. Everyone's asleep. Now's your moment. 
And David says, no. He says, grab the spear, grab the water jug, and let's go. They pick those things up. They walk out of the camp. They get just far enough away. And then they turn around and David screams back into the camp and wakes the commander of the army. And he wakes Saul and he wakes the men there. And this is what he says in 1 Samuel 26, verse 16. He says, where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? And Saul recognized David's voice and said, is that your voice, David, my son? And David replied, yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done What wrong am I guilty of? And then Saul said, verse 21, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and I've been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. I love what David says here in verse 23. He says, the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. I think for a lot of us, we are attempting to make our own way when we find ourselves standing in a position to do harm to the king. We think that's our moment. And if we're not careful, when we're listening to the voices around us, they're saying, yeah, this is your moment. This is your spot. Yeah, he's in the cave. He just walked right into our cave. This is our spot. Let's take him. The guy walking along with David through the camp says, listen, he's asleep. You can kill him. This is your moment. This is the spot where you do harm to him. This is the spot where you rightfully claim what is yours. But David operates by an entirely different set of values. If you remember when David stood before Goliath, the one who stood up 80 times and screamed at the Israelite army and said, who are you going to send to me? I will destroy them, whoever it is. But if he beats me, you can have us. And if I beat him, we get you. And he's just taunting them and screaming and yelling. Finally, David shows up and he says, I'm going to go and fight him. Nobody thinks he can do it, including Saul. Saul tries to put his armor on him. And David says, listen, this doesn't fit. He says, way back there when, when I was tending my dad's sheep, man, there was a lion and a tiger and a bear, oh my, and, he, and I, I killed them all, and I've got the sheep, I, I'm, I'm going to take care of Goliath. And here's what he does. When he stands in front of Goliath, you know what he does? He only says Goliath's name twice. He says the name of God nine times. He realizes that he does not operate by the same set of values that says, I have to be stronger than you. He says, I serve a God who's in control of my story. And so when Saul walks into that cave or when Saul is sleeping in front of him, he doesn't view it as an opportunity to manipulate the moment to see if he can get ahead. He says, no, I will honor the authority that God has placed in my life. And I will allow God to honor my faithfulness. How would your life be different? How would my life be different if we did not view it as our responsibility to get ahead? We only viewed it as our responsibility to be faithful to the God who's in control. How would my life be different? How would your life be different if we believed that God was actually in control of our story? That when God anointed us through the prophet back there in chapter 16, that he still knew that we were going to be king when it looked like we had certain death in front of us in chapter 22 or 24 or 26. 
Are we in tune enough to the voice of God that when our enemy stands right in front of us, sometimes it means a rock and a sling, and sometimes it means just cutting off the corner of the rope? I want to be so in tune to the voice of God in my life that I know when it's time to fight, and I know when it's time just to be faithful. That's the story of David and Saul. It's the story of two generations. I didn't do that. It's the story of two generations. Did you do that? Okay. It's the story of two generations, if you didn't know. And they're standing in this moment where there's a certain handoff. God's already ordained it. God's already said, listen, Saul's time is done. David's time is coming. And we're reading the story of how that handoff takes place. You and I have handoffs. They may not involve changing the ruler of a kingdom. Maybe it's on our job. Maybe it's in our family. Maybe it's in our church. But there are handoffs that are required in our relationships. And I wonder if the former generation, the former leader, the former whatever, I wonder if we're embracing that or if we're fighting it. I wonder if we're trying to hold on to the past because we're scared of the future. I wonder if a younger generation or a next generation or a next leader or a next group, I wonder if we're honoring those who came before or if we're so intent on taking our rightful place that we push them away. That's the story of Saul and David. The pride got into Saul's heart in such a way that he was unable. And listen, this came out of a heart of repentance. When Samuel came to him and said, you have sinned because you didn't, Samuel actually says it this way. Oh, you killed everything back there? Then what do I hear in my ears? Because there's sheep everywhere, right? And Saul's like, oh, oh, no, listen, here's what we are gonna do. We saved all the sheep to offer sacrifice to God. And Samuel says something so incredible to me. I wish I would have put it up in the PowerPoint so you could read it. I believe this is in chapter 15, 1 Samuel 15. You can go read it for yourself, maybe in the middle of that chapter. He says something so incredible. He said, what would God rather have, your obedience or a sacrifice out of disobedience? He said, would God rather you do exactly what he said to do and annihilate everything even when you don't understand the plan? Or would God rather you do what you think is right and then try to worship him out of your disobedience? Oh, that's really good. I missed an opportunity to put that in there. Because that's good stuff. Here's the thing. We're all trying to say, oh, well, I'll just, I'll do my own thing and then I'll show up on Sunday and, you know, sing. And God's saying, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I just want you to obey me. Like, I would rather you be obedient than try to do it your own way and then worship me out of disobedience. But Saul, he, he's fighting the future. He's failing to embrace what is to come. And he refuses to lean into the handoff that God has ordained. I pray and I hope that none of us are ever in that place. I've been there a couple of times when it was required of me to hand something off. And I wasn't ready to do so. I still felt like I had some things to contribute. I still had some things that I felt like were for the good of others. 
but the time was right for me to hand it off. So I had two choices. I can set them up to succeed and I can embrace the handoff or I can fight it and kind of leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth. I don't want to be like that. But I've also been the next thing. I've also been the younger generation, the next leader. And I've had two choices. I could embrace the former things. I could honor the authority that God had ordained. I could value the contribution that had been made prior to me. I could lean in that and not listen to the naysayers and not badmouth them and not talk about what they didn't do or what they didn't get. I could just honor them and what my former pastor used to call eating crow a little bit. You know, it doesn't taste real good, but sometimes it's just what you got to do. And I, I could honor that and just value that and just find something good to say and lean into that. Or I can totally neglect that and act like I got here on my own. Act like I'm a self-made man. And they better be thankful they brought me in because this whole thing was messed up till I got here. I don't think God honors that either. And I think if that's the way David would have behaved, God probably would have removed his favor from him as well. Brought in someone else. You have a choice today. I have a choice today. How will we navigate handoffs? How will we walk through those moments in our lives when something new is coming and we don't really know what it looks like? It may not include us. It may not be our idea. Something new is coming and maybe we're a part of that. How will we honor that which was before? God desires your obedience not your worship out of disobedience. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for all that you've done, all that you've said, all that you've spoken into our hearts and lives today. God, I pray that everything that we've said, everything that we've done would be about lifting you up and nothing else. This story is so rich. This narrative is incredible. This story of two men and the way that they followed you, the way that they were chosen by you, the way that they walked into the future that you had for them. And so today I pray, God, that you would help all of us to open our hearts, to be open to what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing around us. God, help us to be sensitive to how you're leading our lives. Let us know that you're in control, that the same God who anointed David in 16 wasn't gonna let him die in 22 or 24 or 26 or even in 17 in front of Goliath. God, you're in control of our story. When you promise something, it will happen. God, help us to believe. Help us to trust. Help all of us in our lives to honor the authority that you've placed over us. God, help us, God, to not look for opportunities to create for ourselves. God, to trust you and to speak well of those who came before. Let our lives be a reflection of your story and what you're doing in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray.